Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We're going to continue our series on on Hebrews today. Uh, Just as a little bit of review, Hebrews was written by an author that's unknown. We don't know whether there was a Paul or Silas, or some people think it might have even been a woman, and that's why it was unnamed. This... That's all right. It's kind of funny, you know. We've got to recognize the cultural part of that whole thing, you know. So uh, it's a great book. It's got some awesome things to it. So uh, it was written, we think, the way, it's dated between the time that Romans was written. Paul wrote Romans in, 19, in, in AD 58, and between AD, AD 58 and AD 64, the reason we date it between those two time frames is uh, much of the, uh, the statements that he's talking about in the, in, the, in the letter have an understanding of the foundation of what was going on in Romans. But uh, Nero was, while pr- Christians were being persecuted at the time, uh, Nero hadn't started burning them at the stake yet. So in AD 64, Nero burned down Rome. And there's this old adage you hear, Nero played while Rome burned which is actually a historical fact. He was playing a violin or something like that while Rome was burning. And he was trying to do it for political purposes, trying to gain power, and, and, but the opposition was so great that he, he was actually being vilified for allowing Rome to burn. So he began to blame the Christians. And so great persecution began to grow up and then Nero would arrest Christians like that and dip them in oil and put them on a stick and then burn them for his, uh, his, his garden at night. Kind of brutal, right? Evil is brutal, all, wherever, wherever you want to go. So, but so Hebrews is dated in between them. Uh, because of the persecutions that the Christians were uh, experiencing in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10.36 says that it was, it was, they were in need of endurance. They were in need to be able to endure through the trials, the difficulties, what they were experiencing because they wanted to endure and remain with Jesus. Uh, because many of the Hebrew Christians had a foundation in Judaism they were tempted to go back to Judaism, which was still a legal religion at the time, and leave Jesus and go back to the animal sacrifices. And so the author sends, sends this letter that he called a few words of brief exhortation, you know, 13, 14 chapters of brief words. He's got to be a preacher. He or she's got to be a preacher, right? So just a brief word about, you know, 5,750 words or something like that. Uh, and they, to, to uh, remind them that what they have in Jesus compared to the spiritual heritage that they had come from. And by the tone of the letter, the writer assumes that his audience knows and understands the Torah and where they came from. The first five books of the Bible are known as the Torah. As Christians, we don't not, most of us don't have a Jewish heritage, so we're not as steeped in the Torah. As we grow in Jesus, we begin to become familiar with the Bible and things like that. But for some of us that don't, real brief history, right, as you go through this, the first five books, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they are all written about the story of God. God created the world, and when he created the world, he created man. The Bible says God created man in his image and likeness, male and female, he created them. But why did God create man? For one purpose, fellowship. He wanted to share the incredible magnanimousness of his glory the awesomeness of who he is, his love, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, his kindness. He wanted to share that with us. So he created you for the express purpose for you to have a relationship with God. That's the whole intent. 
And then, as we know what happened, uh, Adam and Eve fell into sin, and that relationship was broken. So God said in Genesis chapter 3, from that point forward, he set a plan of restoration. He told the woman, you're going to have a son, you're going to have a seed, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to greatly increase your, your childbirth, will pain, be painful, but that, that child from you will crush Satan's head, and Satan will bruise his heel. So from chapter 3 in Genesis, all the way to the end of the book in Revelation, it's the entire story of God's redemption of mankind. The entire story is all about God wanting to redeem us and bring us back into relationship and fellowship. So he begins to reveal himself to the world. The world rejects him. The world grows up and they, begin really, they, they, they grow really old, 900, 700, 800 years in evil. You know, and if you're practicing evil after about six, 700 years, you're kind of probably good, pretty good at it. So then he decides, okay, let's do, let's kind of start a little bit, one point, uh, you know, 2.0 or something like that. So he wipes everybody out and starts with Noah again. And out of Noah comes a new family. They didn't quite get it yet. Things weren't going the way it should have been going. So he says, okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to find a man and I'm going to call the man out of the world and reveal myself to him and to his family. I'm going to set that family apart for the whole world to see what I could do if they would follow me. And thus we have Abraham and the Jewish family. So the Jewish family goes through some things. They go, uh, Abraham and his descendants are not the most obedient groups in the, on the planet. So just because they're called out doesn't make them perfect. And they go through and do some things, and then they end up in bondage in Egypt. And after 400 years of bondage in Egypt, God brings them out and he begins to reveal himself to the, to, the, to the Hebrews and who he is and what he is and how to live holy. The whole book, you know, Leviticus actually is one of the greatest books you ever want to read. How many love reading Leviticus? Liar, liar, pants off. No. <laughs> but what is Leviticus? In a snapshot, Leviticus is the, is the rules on how to live holy with God. If you will do these things, I will live with you. It's just the instruction. It's a wonderful book to begin to say, God says, I want to live with you. I want to be around you. I want you to be around me. So just follow these rules and we can make that happen. So we know mankind didn't do it so great and it didn't happen very well. And so the whole idea behind the book of Hebrews is they understood this and they were experiencing severe persecution. So the writer of the Hebrews says, don't fade away. Don't let this thing just slip away from you. Don't let Jesus slip away from you. And don't return back to an animal sacrifice because if you do that, you give up everything. You give it up all. You give up all the life. Because I want to remind you that though you have a spiritual heritage that you have come from this, the rule and regulation of the law, into relationship with Jesus for a future to have eternity with Jesus. And the whole Bible, the entire Bible from the beginning to the end, the Old Testament talks about Jesus to come. The Gospels and the New Testament talk about Jesus who has come. And the rest is unwritten, but Jesus is coming again. Amen? So the entire Bible is all about setting up Jesus, declaring who Jesus is and, and, and encouraging us to follow after him. There are significant warnings in the book of Hebrews. And the significant warnings are not to be taken lightly, but they're also not to cause us to, to fear. They're not meant to fear. They're not meant to scare us, but they are meant to make us uncomfortable. Talking about walking away from Jesus and then there's no repentance for you to, if you did that. What are you going to do about that? Not to cause you fear, but to make you consider, where am I with Jesus? How am I walking with Jesus? Am I enduring what I need to endure? Am I walking in the victory that God has for me? And so the whole point of Hebrews is to encourage the believers to stay steady 
and go all the way through. Consider your heritage. Look at what happened. Look at the angels in the first couple of chapters. They're, they brought the word of God to, through, to Moses. They were a big deal, but they're not a bigger deal than Jesus because Jesus is better than angels. So in chapter three, we come to it where it says, therefore, holy brothers, chapter three, verse one says, therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest, priest whom we confess. Now, sidebar, whenever you see a therefore, you always want to know what the therefore is there for, right? It's a preacher thing or a teacher thing, right? So whenever you see a therefore, say, okay, now wait, I see, therefore, holy brothers, therefore what? Hebrews 2.14 says, since all children have flesh and blood, so Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so that he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death, by embracing Jesus, by embracing death, Jesus set free those who lived their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. Anybody be afraid of death? Any of you have, don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but anybody fear death, that the death comes? So what Jesus did is he experienced for you to remove the fear so that you don't have to be afraid of death and you get to live your life to the full. He stepped into humanity. Just, and the way I see it, I'm, you know, as we go on and live together and work together and play together, you're going to find that I'm a little odd. And uh, I have these things that I go through. So here's how I see it. So I see this mannequin, this human form, shape, right? Get this in your mind. Just lifeless. And Jesus is up in heaven. And he knows he's going to come on and take on the form of man. So what he does is he takes off his robe of righteousness, he sets it aside, and he steps into the flesh of man. And why did he do that? So that he could experience everything you experience. He can experience hot, cold. He can experience hunger. He can experience fear. He can experience rejection. He can experience shame. He can re- experience anger. He can experience joy. He can experience your experience. He wants to experience everything. He, not wants to, he experienced everything you experience so that he has empathy for you in your life. There is nothing you can ever come to in Jesus and say, Jesus, you don't know how I feel. He goes, ah, brother, sister, yes, I do. Been there, done that. And because I've been there and done that, I can have kindness and mercy on you because I know what it feels like. And that's the point. He did that so that he could then take on the biggest fear that most of us face, which is the fear of death. Because that's what happened when Eve fell. Death came in, and then the devil beat us up over the death. You got to do anything to stop dying and not die and not die and do all this stuff. No, not out of fear. We get to walk in faith. And so this confirms that Jesus became man in every way that we are so that he can experience what we've experienced and identify with our life. Therefore, the instruction to fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess, is wrapped up in our thoughts on how Jesus became like us fully to identify with our lives and release us from that fear. Fix means to observe fully, behold, consider, discover, and perceive. In other words, to think on Jesus who he really is, because Jesus is better God wants us to fix our our thoughts on Jesus and consider who he is. Who is he? Think about it. 
What does the scriptures reveal Jesus to be? What do the gospels reveal Jesus to be? What does Psalms reveal Jesus to be? What are the prophetic words from Isaiah reveal Jesus to be? What are they? Observe those things. Behold the revelation that you've received from Jesus. If you are a believer in Jesus today, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've received the revelation that Jesus is God and he is your Lord and Savior, remember that. What happened? When you came into the family of God, what was going on? What revelation of God did he give to you that was yours, personally yours? Because he does that for all of us. And your story is significant. Your story will impact many, many lives if you receive the boldness of God to share it because he wants you to share your story because you are important. And the way you came in, the scripture says, that we minister to others with which the same ministry we received from God. In other words, the way you came in, you're gonna help other people come in that same way. And don't let the devil diminish your journey into Jesus because he wants you to fix your thoughts on Jesus so that you can, God wants you to fix your thoughts on Jesus so that you can fully behold, consider, and discover how awesome Jesus is because Jesus really is better. Now, an apostle. What's an apostle? The apostolos, the two Greek combined Greek words. Apos means set apart. Stolos means to be sent, sent out. Um, I, would, I see Russ Frazen here. I would say Russ Frazen, an apostle. Why? Because he's been set apart from God and he's been sent out. He fits that. He fits that definition very much. Because that's who Jesus is. He was set, set apart by God and sent out. The high priest is the one who offers the sacrifice that is taken behind the veil that separates God and man. The sacrifice that once a year covers the sin, guilt, shame of falling short of the high standards of holy living that God requires for one more year. There was a veil in the temple. The veil in the temple separated the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God from everyone else. And once a year, the high priest made the sacrifice that allowed him to take in the blood of the sacrifice and take it and touch it on the altar. And then God would cover the sins of Israel for a year. And then every year, they'd have to go in and do it again. And they'd have to do it again. And they could only go into the presence of God once a year. So Jesus became the high priest that took the sacrifice behind the veil. And when he did it, he was on the cross. And when he said it was finished, Lightning, earthquakes, and all of a sudden, from the top to the bottom, that, ta- that, that curtain was ripped in two. It was ripped apart. And Jesus, not only as the high priest offering the sacrifice, Jesus being, becoming the sacrifice, stepped into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and forgave sin forever. He didn't just cover it. He forgives it. He releases you and redeems you from that for all eternity. And therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because you've been stepped in and covered by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and that veil is no longer there. There is no curtain separating us, you, me, from Jesus. No curtain is separated because Jesus, the high priest, became that for us. Give the Lord a hand clap. That's a great stuff. So therefore, you want to think on these things that Jesus is the apostle from heaven. He was the one that was set apart from God and sent to the earth to pay the penalty for their sins of mankind. Now, again, I see things a little weird, so I'm sitting up there watching this 
And Adam, God is up there in heaven, and Father's here, and Jesus is here, and the Holy Spirit is here. Father's looking at that, and they're watching Adam and Eve, and Father says to Jesus, do you see what they're doing? He goes, yeah, I see it. He says, you think they're going to eat that? Jesus goes, ah, I think they are. What do you think? He says, yeah, I think they're going to eat it too. Wow. Jesus looks at me, ooh, they ate it. Oh, well, now what? Oh, that's really bad. Holy Spirit says, yeah, that's really bad. They're going to have to be separated from us forever now. Yeah, they are because they blew it. So now what's going to happen? Jesus says, well, somebody's going to have to do something so that they can be forgiven. Father looks at him and says, yeah, I think you're right. Jesus says, what do you think has to happen? He says, well, I think someone's going to have to die on that one. What do you think? He says, yeah, I think someone's going to have to die on that one. He says, but then Jesus says, but the one who has to die has got to be perfect because they can't do it. They're not perfect. And the father says, yeah, you got that right. It's going to have to be perfect sacrifice. It can't be anything negative. You can't be tainted with sin at all. And Jesus said, hmm, hey, Dad, I think I can do that. He goes, I know you can. Holy Spirit goes, I help. <laughs> and so what happened? Jesus stepped into mankind and lived the life that we live. Experienced every temptation you've ever experienced. He knows how you feel. He knows what you've gone through. He's seen it all. He's been there, and he won't abandon you in it. And he took the penalty and paid the penalty of it so that we could have a relationship with God. That's what Jesus did. And so that's why we want to fix our eyes on the apostle, the one who was set apart by God to redeem mankind into fellowship and relationship. And so as the book of Hebrews goes on and we begin to see the, the revelation of how the Hebrews had a relationship with God and all of these people that they were thinking could be better than Jesus, he begins to dismantle that. And he comes in to, and, and says, Jesus is better. He's, he's the better one for life eternal and life now. And so he goes on in Hebrews 3, it says, but Jesus is worthy to receive a much greater glory than Moses. For the one who builds a house deserves to be honored more than the house he builds. For every house is built by someone, but God is the designer and builder of all things. In other words, they had revered Moses so much because Moses is the one who went up Mount Sinai. Moses is the one who went up and received the law. Moses is the one who had been set apart from God to redeem Israel, which, he, we, which we knew he did. He had been redeemed, set apart, and he and received the law. But he also received the, 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 the plans for the temple. He saw the temple in heaven. And he brought those plans and he assembled what he saw in heaven on earth. You have to be very Moses was commanded, don't deviate from anything you see in heaven when you build this thing on earth. And so that whole uh, temple that you see in the wilderness, the whole idea, the structure, the, 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 the veil, the walls, the, everything, the, the, the ark, the, the table, the... the, the bronze cleansing, everything was there for, uh, on purpose. And Jesus, uh, Moses built that back on earth. But Moses wasn't the architect of that. Jesus is. And the architect always gets greater honor than the building itself. I mean, if we were going to, like, whoever, I don't know who the architect was this, but whoever was the architect, they designed a pretty nice building. And there was many people here that are still in this church that were around helping get input into that building. This is nice. It functions. Now, it's got some issues, like all buildings do, but we don't honor the builders. We don't talk to the carpenters and the electricians and the plumbers and all that stuff and say, wow, no, you guys did a great job. Now, we should, and we do, but the architect has higher honor than those who are building the church, building the, the building itself, as Jesus is also. 
Jesus is worthy to receive more honor than the servant Moses because not only is Jesus the, 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 the servant, he's also the builder. It says in chapter, chapter 3, verse 6, but Jesus is more than a servant. He was, a fa- he was faithful as the son in charge of God's house. And now we are part of his house if we continue courageously to hold firmly to our bold confidence and our victorious hope. Jesus is more than a servant because not only is he a servant, he is also the son of God. The writer of Hebrews is declaring here that Jesus, while being a servant, is better than Moses because just like Moses was a servant, Jesus was a servant. He served the father. He served us by taking our place, but he's also the son of God. That's a big deal. And then he goes on to say that we are part of his house if we continue courageously to hold firmly to our bold confidence. There are a lot of ifs in the scripture. And we will remain a part of God's house if we continue in being a part of God's house, remaining in God's house, not fading away, like he says in in chapter two, not just fading away from it, but staying true to our call, true to the plan of God. There are, the ifs found in scripture are the instructions on how we're to maintain and keep our position of salvation. But always understand this, you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, period. You are not saved by your ifing. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. The if part is to be able to walk victoriously in this life that God has called you to walk in, to walk in a greater revelation as you continue to move and grow and mature in Jesus. If you will persevere, if you will continue in the faith, if you will fight for the faith, if you will do, if you will do, you will receive greater, greater, greater revelation. But your salvation is secured by grace through faith in Jesus. It's really important that you get that because this if thing can really quickly go into works and require you to do and do and do and do and do to be right with God. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, period. And never let anybody or anything ever steal that from you. The ifs show us how to move forward in the revelation of Jesus because God has an expanding revelation of who he is for us. My own personal opinion is that's expanded revelation. When we get to heaven, we're going to have this revelation of Jesus, and we're going to go, oh, oh. And then the next day, we're going to go, oh, oh. And then the next day, we're going to go, oh, oh. It's just going to be awesome because Jesus is going to get awesomer and awesomer as we spend time with him. It's going to be great. And that's what he has for you. Even now as you're walking in your life, he wants you to have a further revelation of who he is. He wants you to know in your life, in your circumstance, what you're walking through, how awesome he is. Because he is better. And so then the writers in verse three, verse, uh, chapter 3, 12, it says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As he has just been said, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. 
So understand that what happened is the children of Israel had experienced the deliverance of God. They had experienced his acts. I think it says in Psalm 103 that, that Moses knew God, the children of Israel experienced his acts. It's a wonderful thing to experience the acts of God in your life. And I hope you all have. And I hope you all will continue. But it is a better thing to know him, to know who he is, and then to experience his actions and his activities in your life. Because God will act on your behalf. Even when we don't know him, he acts on our behalf because he loves us and he's calling us into relationship and fellowship. So let us check on the status of our heart and do not allow sin or unbelief to turn us away from the living God. The children of Israel did not escape the trap of unbelief. They saw with their eyes, they experienced the incredible acts of God and they were delivered from the bondage of slavery, but they did not ex embrace what they were experiencing with faith. When Moses came down and gave them the law, he says, this is how you are to live with God. This is what you are to do so that God can walk in your midst. He wants to walk up and down your camp. He wants to be where your tents are. And so do these things so that he can walk with you in holiness and he can separate and, they, and you can receive his presence. They didn't embrace those things by faith. They didn't believe the word of life. When he said, go into the promised land and take them, they said, no, we can't do it. It's too big. They didn't experience the, 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 the they didn't embrace by faith what God was saying to them. And so what happened is they lost it. They lost the rest that God had for them. They lost it and they received what they had been confessing with their mouth. Oh my goodness gracious, it would have been better for us to stay in Egypt and die here than die in the wilderness. Why did you come out here to kill us with this? What's wrong with this? This is awful. I remember the leeks and the garlics. I think they were like Italian descent. <laughs> I remember all that stuff. That was wonderful. Yeah, it was wonderful. You were under severe bondage, but you did have some food so that you could work again and again and again all day long. And so what God finally did, because God is a gracious God, is he gave them the desires of their heart and he allowed them to die in the wilderness and not enter into his rest. But God is gracious and merciful and kind. So he brought their children into the promise because God had a plan. He was going to reveal himself through a people group to the entire world what it was like for God to live with people. And so therefore, what they did not do and they failed to do was to fix their thoughts on Jesus. They allowed their thoughts to run amok amongst themselves. So the author is directing them to hold firm, be steady. Yes, persecution is here. I know you're losing your stuff. You're losing your place in society. I know it's really hard. I know people are rejecting you. I know they're telling, saying nasty things about you. I know you're losing jobs. I'm losing opportunities. Maybe your, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend left you. I know this is all hard and difficult, but hold, hold. It's kind of like that Braveheart movie. Right, remember? Hold, hold, steady, be steady. Hold, don't let unbelief rob you of the wonderful rest and inheritance that we have in Jesus. Walk in the confidence that you had when you first came to faith. Remember your testimony. I really encourage everyone, you need to have a two minute, a five minute, a 10 minute, and a three hour testimony. Because sometimes you gotta have it like real quick, but sometimes you get to elaborate the whole gory details. And it's awesome because some of the gore stuff, you know, if you like that kind of stuff, it can be really wonderful because we get to see how much Jesus delivered you from. 
But really, you want to have at least a two to three or five minute testimony of all that God has done to you. Because you know why? No one can replicate your testimony. It's kind of like that blind guy that Jesus healed, you know, born blind. And they went to the Sanhedrin and they were crabbing about him being born blind on a, being healed on the Sabbath. And he ended up finally says, you know, boys, I don't know how to argue this with you. I don't know anything. All I do know, this is a fact, Jack. I was blind and now I'm not. What are you going to do with that? You know, and side note, you guys are getting a whole lot more than the other guys got. Uh, side note, um, you know, sometimes, he, not only did Jesus give him the sight, the ability to see something, he gave him the understanding of perceiving everything he was seeing. I mean, catch that. I remember I read a book a long time ago about some guys that had glaucoma in the late 1800s. They got, took the glaucoma off, they could see. And so for them, uh, they, had to, they couldn't, when they went to see, touch a chair, they, if you looked at a chair, they'd say, I don't know what that is. But when they felt a chair, they'd go, oh, that's a chair. Because faith to them was things felt. And so God healed this guy and gave him understanding, a perception of what he was having. So we want to hold on and firm to the, where you've started out with Jesus. And we want to hear the voice of God as he speaks to you today. Because God speaks today. God doesn't speak tomorrow. And he had spoken some things yesterday. But yesterday is like old manna. It can get really creepy and icky and kind of gross if you try to hold on to just yesterday's manna. So you want to come before the Father and today... You want to present yourself to hear his voice. So here's an exercise that you can all go home and do. Do this. Get a chair, get alone, turn off the TV, put your phone away, put it in the next room or whatever, the high pads, shut it off. It might even turn off the Wi-Fi so you're not tempted. Sit in a chair and do this. Go like this, go. Just like a pitcher comes off the mound. Take a cleansing breath or two and go. Father, what would you say to me today? It's going to be awesome. You're going to hear from God. I guarantee it. You will hear something wonderful from God. I encourage you to write it down. You're going to be blessed beyond measure because he wants to speak to you. It may be go, Whoa. and it's going to be awesome because he wants you to know him. And then tomorrow, you can do the same thing. Whew. Okay, Dad. What do you say? Because today he speaks. He speaks today. So how do we practically fix our thoughts on Jesus? First of all, you guys are listening a lot slower than the other group also. Uh, we have to recognize the importance of our thought life. You know, what you're thinking about and how you're thinking is important. You've got to recognize what that is. But Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whatever you're meditating on, you're going to become. This one is talking about a miser who doesn't like having you over to dinner, even though he invited you over to dinner. But you know, he thinks on that, and he's, he's not with you. Romans 12, 3 says, For I say, though, the grace given to me to everyone who's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. God wants you to think soberly about who you are. You are not better than anybody else, but you're certainly not worse. And don't let the devil or your experience or other people diminish who you are in Jesus. You've been given gifts and talents to advance the kingdom of God. Walk in them. Not everyone can, get, can, not everyone can 
play music. I cannot do what Nathan and Joel do. I cannot sing like our singers sing. I make a great joyful noise. That's what I can do. But I revel in their worship. I mean, honestly, there's a little prophetic in me. I've got a little bit of prophetic gifting. Nathan stirs the prophetic in me. I mean, when he's worship, he brings us into the presence of God, it just like, whew, it just bubbles up. Because his anointing touches my anointing and it advances the kingdom of God in our lives, in his life, in your life. What has God gifted you to do? Do that and be happy with it. Don't think of yourself more highly, but certainly don't think of yourself more lowly. Don't let the devil steal what God has given you. Get your thought life right. First Corinthians says that... Um, Stop thinking like children in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In other words, grow up. It's time to grow up. Our thought life is critical to walking in victory. Paul says, makes it clear that it is our thought life that the victory is won. So, a couple years ago, I was driving to church. I was getting ready to study with uh, Doug Newcomb we, when I was teaching with the Red Zone, which is the first service adult Sunday school, which you all can come to if you'd like to do it, first Sunday school. That's a good advertisement. I was driving there and acting my own business, and often when the Lord speaks to me, I hear this, this statement is the prefaces to almost every conversation I have with the Lord that's like going to be very impactful. Uh, <clears throat> you know what your problem is? Uh, well, obviously not, because there's a lot of times you say that. Well, you know what your problem is. Well, I'm getting, I have a problem right now. He said, I'll never forget, was, I'm, at, I'm at 72nd and Indiana, headed east. So I'm driving east. You know what your problem is? No. What's my problem this time? He says, you're a lazy thinker. What? You are a lazy thinker. You let any old thought pop in your head and have its way with you. You just let it take you wherever it want to go. Down to the dumps, out the toilet. Just awful. You're just, you stop that. Don't be a lazy thinker. So as I was praying through that, I said, okay, how am I going to do that? How am I not going to be a lazy thinker? First of all, fix your thoughts on Jesus, and then understand the warfare that you're engaged in. 2 Corinthians 10 says this, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I heard Pastor Jason say, we'll quote this verse maybe a year or so ago, really helpful. He says, you have to understand that humans are not your enemy. Got to get it. Humans are not your enemy. Your spouse, your family, your parents, your siblings, your boss, your next door neighbor, that brat across the street, they are not your enemy. The devil is your enemy. He is the enemy. Now, he happens to use the brat across the street to really get to you. But he is not your enemy. It's the devil that is your enemy, and we want to attack the devil, and we want to attack it with the tools that God has given us. And the tools are, they're not, might, they are, they are not carnal. They are mighty. And God. It's not beating, you know, throwing bricks or throwing water balloons at the kid across the street. It's spiritual weapons. They are, not, they are not carnal. They are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting out arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Therefore, we must engage in prayer 
our thoughts and captivate them to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The enemy uses lies, doubt, unbelief, condemnation to murder our relationship with Jesus. The devil is called the father of lies. In John 8, 48, Jesus said, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44. He says, we are often plagued with the same deceits. When Eve was deceived, he was, she was deceived with the statement, no, you're not going to die. Surely you won't die. Well, in the other chapter, just early in the chapter, God says, if you eat from the tree of, 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 of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Those, no, you're not going to die. No, he didn't mean that. Yes, he did. She did. Now, she didn't die spiritually. Physically, she died spiritually. So, what are the promises that you've received from God that the devil's trying to steal or kill? Has he promised you a spouse? Has he promised you healing, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, financial? Has he promised you uh, restoration from brokenness? Have you heard this, the lie of the enemy? He says, well, yes, he does all those things, but not for you. <laughs> you? Uh -uh. Him? Yeah. You? Yeah. You feel condemned when that comes in. You feel defeated. There is no faith in that. The lies of the enemy are meant to influence us to think that God is a liar just like him. He wants us to meditate on the hopelessness of our circumstance, to believe that we are abandoned by God. Some of us that we have to suffer the consequence of our sin because it was so bad that yes, he'll forgive me my sin, but I gotta suffer under this thing for the rest of my life. No, you can be redeemed, you can be restored, you can be renewed, you can find a new way of living. Yes, there might be a scar, and yes, the scars are probably always gonna be there, but God's gonna remove the pain and the hurt so that you can then minister to other people with the redemption and the restoration that you've received. The Bible says that when we fix our thoughts on Jesus, things change. For a spouse, Genesis 2.18, real quick, Man should not be alone. I'll make a helper comparable to him. If you want a spouse, we'll pray that God will give you a spouse. God will give you a spouse. It says so in the Bible. He'll give you a good spouse. First thing you should do is start preparing yourself to be a good spouse. Okay? Pray that God will make you a good spouse. And if you want another one, or you need, need one, not another one. You want one? <laughs> Oops. One spouse, one button. Pray that God prepares your spouse to be the spouse that they need to be because then perhaps maybe all of a sudden when you meet, you're already walking in agreement because you're seeking Jesus. How about a healing? Acts 10.38 says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing that were all oppressed of the devil for God was with them. How many people did he heal? All. It says in Matthew 12, 15, that Jesus withdrew from the place, many followed him, and he healed all of their sick. How many did he heal? Who did he heal? All who came. Because he didn't heal everybody. But everybody who came, he did. It's a mystery. I have to admit it. I understand. Some of you are walking through some really difficult times, and it's been a long season in it. Yes. But the, the word is true. Keep going. Get involved in a small group. Let your small group rally around you and become your ally and help you walk through this season of wait, the season of trial, the season of revelation of Jesus, because that's what relationships do. Peter said that 
Jesus bore our sins in his body and, that we, have been, who, and he, that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness and by whose stripes you're healed. And then Jesus' first sermon, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. When you fix your thoughts on what Jesus says and what the word says, things will change. Bible says that by, so then Romans 7, 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what you wanna do is you wanna position yourself to hear the word of God, the word of faith, because get this, get this, faith comes. Faith comes. It will come. And you will hear the word of God and it will bubble up in you and you'll have a strength and a confidence to go through whatever it has to go through because you've heard from God. And I don't give a flip what the devil says or my circumstance says. I face my circumstances and recognize them as to be real, but the word of God is more real. Faith does come. It will come. And so Paul instructs us to set our thoughts on higher things. He says in Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is pure, true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Think about these things. Set your thoughts, set your mind on those things that are true and those that are noble and those that are lovely. Joel, if you can come on out, that'd be great. Think on things that are praiseworthy. So as I was going through this, learning how to take my thoughts captive, here's what was going on in my life. I recognized that what God had said to me was true, that I was a lazy thinker, and I just let any old thought pop in my head and have its way. So what am I gonna do? And the Lord gave me this prayer, and this is a prayer I wanna share with you. It's in your notes, but this is what he, he said. This is the prayer that the Lord gave me. He said, this is what I pray. Father, I thank you that though I walk in the flesh, I do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Therefore, because of that, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, reject, rebuke, and cast down every thought, every imagination, every meditation that I've ever had or held or that comes my way that negates your word or confuses its application. I pull those strongholds down in the name of Jesus. I declare that since I've been given the mind of Christ, I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I repent from thinking thoughts that do not line up with your word and your will in the name of Jesus. That is a great prayer to pray. That's why we gave it in your notes. I want you to take that prayer tape it up somewhere. If you want to, make copies. It's not copyrighted. You can give it to anybody you want. It's a Holy Ghost prayer. It will help set your captives, your mind free. It'll help set your capture fate, your thoughts, so that you can be positioned to hear the Word of God. So, what I'd like to do is, let's all pray this together. I'm going to lead you through this. So why don't you all stand to your feet, and let's pray this together as a congregation because I am looking forward to seeing God deliver you, redeem you, renew you 
with all that you've been going through so that you can walk in the fullness of what he has for you. So I'll, I'll, I'll say it, you can repeat after me. Father, I thank you that though I walk in the flesh, I do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I renounce, reject, rebuke, and cast down every thought, every imagination, every meditation that I've ever had or held or that comes my way that negates your word or confuses its application. I pull those down in the name of Jesus. I declare that since I've been given the mind of Christ, I will not be conformed to this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Then I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I repent from thinking thoughts that do not line up with your word and your will in the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap for the redemption he's given to you. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.